It's been a tough uh, few years. Uh, lately, uh, you know, it, you see a lot of anger. Uh, you see a lot of uh, frustration with people. Gas prices are soaring. Uh, the store prices, when you go in to buy groceries, it costs a whole lot more than it did just not too long ago. And sometimes you're unable to get some of the things that you need and some of the things that you want because of shortages and they, they can't get it delivered or lack of people uh, willing to work. And so there's a lot of things out there that cause us to, some problems. And sometimes as Christians, we start to get discouraged ourselves. And so I thought it was a good time to ask the question, have you counted your blessings lately? Because there's so much that we have to be thankful for, but sometimes we don't appreciate those things until we don't have them anymore. And once they're gone, uh, we don't realize it, uh, how precious they were while they were available. Or even the people that are close to us, when they're gone, uh, we don't realize what a blessing they are in our lives. Tonight when I go home, and I'm sure if you're going to go home and do the same thing, that when it gets dark, you're going to turn on a light, uh, and the light's going to come on unless your power's gone out. And then uh, you can go to a refrigerator and you can open it up and there's going to be plenty of food in that refrigerator or in the cabinet for you to eat. There's something that you want to snack on. I don't know about you, but Sunday evening when I go home, I'm ready to eat some food still uh, because uh, I've worked up an appetite doing this. But when you go to bed, you got a bed to sleep in. And in the morning you're going to get up and there's a car in the driveway that you're going to get in and you're just going to go down the road. We have water to drink that's available to us and many other things that we can drink. And if you need gas, you can pull into the gas station even though it may cost us a lot more money. You can still put gas in your car. Imagine if you went home tonight and there was no home. The house was gone. Been blown away in a tornado or burned down. You couldn't turn on the lights and you couldn't go to bed because there was no bed and there was no food. Would you still count your blessings if it was all gone? Would you still be thankful for God and what He's done for us? You see, sometimes we don't realize what we have until it's not with us anymore. And we need to realize how important it is to know what God has blessed us with. And sometimes we take our blessings for granted. And sometimes we don't realize what He's blessed us with. And I think that Psalm chapter 103 is a good chapter for us to always go to when, we, when we're, we're, we're feeling ungrateful. Because there David reminds us of some of the things that we should be thankful for. And he tells us in the very beginning of that, uh, David starts out by praising God, and then he says, Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of His benefits. Forget not His benefits. That tells me that it's possible that I could forget all the good things that God has done for me. That you can forget all the good things that He's done for you. And if we forget any of God's benefits, and if we forget the blessings that He's given to us, we end up being ungrateful and taking what we have for granted. It's sort of like the lady that went to the counter at the grocery store and seen the turkeys and she wasn't happy with the sizes. And so she snapped at the, at the, the stock person and, and wanted to know, don't these birds get any bigger? And he said, no, ma'am, they're dead. Wow. 
That woman had more food in front of her than a third world country. But yet she wasn't grateful for what was there. What she saw wasn't good enough. What she saw wasn't big enough. And she had every intention on letting that stock person know that she was unhappy. And sometimes that describes us. It may not be at a turkey counter, but it may be some other aspect of our life that we're ungrateful for. And yet when we look around, we can see really all the good things that God has provided for us. And how many of us think more about what we don't have as opposed to what we do have? It's very easy for us to look at the neighbor or look at someone else and say, why do they have all of these things and I have nothing? I, think that, I believe that when we become unthankful to God for what we do have, that we become ungrateful because of what we don't have. In Psalms 103, we get, the, get into the habit of, we should get into the habit of being thankful. We don't need to wait for Thanksgiving Day. We don't need to wait for a special occasion. As God's people, we need to be thankful every day. So what kind of things has God given you? The Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18, "...in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you." So God expects us to give thanks for everything that we have. We need to count our blessings and we need to do that daily. We need to realize what God has blessed us with. Don't overlook those things and just take them for granted. Name them one by one, as the song says. And let me raise this question again. What kind of things has God given you that you are thankful for? Think about that for a moment. And if you can think of it in your mind, what comes to your mind first of all? I would imagine that your list would be similar to my list. And one of the things, or some of the things that I would be thankful for is my family. And I would be thankful that I have a house, a home that I can live in. That I have health, reasonable health. And that I have possessions. And that I have a job. And that I have a congregation that I can be a part of. And I would be thankful for all of those things. And I'm sure that your list would include some of the same things that would be on my list. Because we're thankful for those kind of blessings. And sometimes we take those things for granted. But think about what David's thankful for in this chapter. David's list doesn't look like my list. And maybe David's list doesn't look like your list. David's list look like, looks like this. Instead of praising God for those things that we would normally say thank you for, he praises God and is thankful for the fact that God has forgiven all of his sins. He's thankful that God has healed all of his diseases. And when he's talking about diseases in this context, he's not talking about uh, some physical ailment. He's talking about spiritual diseases. 
Because you see that when we get caught up in sin, it causes a lot of problems in our lives. There's guilt and there's shame. There's disappointment. There's anxiety. Oh, what if somebody finds out about it? And God can heal all of those things for us. And he's thankful that God has redeemed his life from destruction because he's seen the path that he would be on. And many of us realize where we would be if it wasn't for God. And we need to be thankful for what God has done for us. And he's thankful that God has crowned him with loving kindness and tender mercies. That's love and compassion that he has shown him. And he satisfied the desire with good things. So as the Scripture says, so that his youth was renewed like the eagles. When God takes away our sin, when God forgives us and heals us, it's like a burden that's been lifted. And it is like that young eagle that can fly. Think about it. Why did the Ethiopian eunuch go on his way rejoicing? Because his sins had been washed away by the blood of Christ. If you're not a Christian, God can do the same thing for you today. And if you are a Christian, what David is saying here is nothing new for us. But sometimes we forget those things and take it for granted. But you've got to ask yourself, why would David focus on those things rather than the stuff that you and I might have on our list? Why didn't he mention family? You say, well, he, he had some problems in his family. Well, we all have problems in family. It's part of being a family. He had work. He had possessions. He had all those things. And the conclusion that I come to is this. The things that David mentioned, I cannot lose. I can't lose them. They can't be taken away. I can lose a loved one. My house may be destroyed. I may even lose a congregation where, you know, I, I like to preach and I like to sing and I may not be able to do that. I may lose all of those things that we have on our list. But the things that David mentions, we cannot lose. No one, nothing can take those things away. David realized what was important. And he's saying exactly the same thing that Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21. When he tells us, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where there is neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus is telling us some of those things, some of those things that we can see and touch can be taken away. But when we lay up treasures in heaven, they're going to last forever. No one can take those things away from us. There's no moth-eaten treasure in heaven. There's no thief that's going to sneak in and, and steal it when you're not looking. It's there and it's permanently there. And so David is telling us in Psalms 103 that his treasure is laid up in heaven. 
What kind of treasure was David talking about? Well, David is telling us that his greatest treasure is that God loves him and has compassion on him. That's something to be, be thrilled about, something to be happy about, to know that the God of this universe loves me and He'll have compassion on me. And the same is true for you, that He loves you and He'll have compassion on you. What a blessing that is. Have you counted that as one of your blessings when you start counting? When you're naming them one by one, that God loves you. He loves me. And that's the one foundational truth that makes all the difference to, to David. And now David goes on to acknowledge that neither he nor any of the rest of us are worthy of God's love. He tells us in verse 15 and 16, For as a man his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth, for the wind passeth over it, and it is gone, and a place thereof shall know it no more. You get up, you go outside, and, and I don't know what you have at your house, but we got some daffodils outside, and some of them are already starting to wilt. They sprung up, and they look beautiful, and they were impressive, and you say, hey, look at the daffodils. But guess what? They start to fade away. God tells us that that's the way our life is, that we're here for a short period of time, and then we, as a vapor, vanish away. And David points out another truth there. When you think about it, we're not all that impressive, are we? We're just frail and weak creatures. And when we're gone, we'll be easily forgotten. I mentioned this not too long ago. You know, how long are you going to be remembered? Your kids hopefully will remember you. Your grandkids will remember you. Perhaps your great-grandchildren will remember you. But what about your great-great-grandchildren or your great-great-great-grandchildren? Are they going to remember you? If they go to Ancestry.com, they might remember you. Say, oh, look, I'm related to that guy and he was really famous. Or what a low life he was. But without that, you're going to be forgotten. Just like those flowers will be forgotten in the middle of summer. When winter comes, they'll be gone. God knows that. And He knows that we're frail. And I think sometimes we forget that. But isn't that a blessing to know that God knows what we're made of? He tells us also in verses 13 and 14, Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. You think about a father. A father's responsibility is to train their children. And a father has compassion on their children because they realize that that little toddler is frail. That parent understands if he's the kind of father that he's supposed to be, he knows that he can't punish that child in a certain way. He may not punish in the same way that he would a teenager. Because we know that that child is frail and a teenager isn't an adult, even though they want to be and sometimes we want them to act like they are, they're still teenagers. 
And so that father realizes that and he disciplines and corrects and provides and does all the things that are necessary for that child to grow and mature so that they can be a productive citizen. And God knows that about us. He knows what we're capable of. He knows what we can do. He knows our frame. And be thankful for that. And then he says in verse 14, For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. What do you do with dust? Well, most of the time you wipe it away. If you're sawing a board and sawdust gets in the way, what do you do? You lean down and you go... And you blow it away. So you can keep seeing the line that you're cutting on. God knows our frame. And He knows that we were formed from dust of the earth. And, and He remembers that. But He formed that dust into His image, into His likeness. We are God's special creation. We were made by God. And yes, we are fragile and we are easily forgotten by this world, but God will never, ever forget us. And remember that you are God's special creation. And so when one of your siblings say, oh yeah, you're special, you say, yeah, I am. God said I was. Because we all are special. So think about that. We're created in the image of God. We are His crown. And we are crowned with His loving kindness and tender mercies. Someone once observed that God loves us so much that if He had a refrigerator, we would have our picture on it. Or he would have our picture on it. I don't know how true that is, but think about that. I think we are very special in God's sight. And God loves us so much that David says in Psalms 103, in the first part of that verse, that He redeemeth thy life from destruction. In some modern day translations, it says, redeemeth my life from the pit. And it goes on to say, and satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. We can read throughout the Bible where <clears throat> stories of men and women were sent to a pit of destruction. We know that Jeremiah was thrown in a pit and sunk in the muck up to his armpits. We know that Daniel was thrown into a pit of lions because he obeyed God and he prayed and there was a decree that was made not to pray and he, went into the, he was thrown into that lion's den. We know that Joseph and his brothers, his brothers hated him and they wanted to kill him and so they threw him in a pit that they were going to pull him out and kill him eventually or let him die in that pit but they saw an opportunity to make a few dollars and so they sold him into slavery. Those are literal pits and places for destruction that God rescued them from. Daniel was delivered out of the lion's den. Joseph was delivered out of that pit. And Jeremiah was delivered out of that pit also. 
But there are other pits that are also just as depressing. Imagine David, all the years that he spent running from King Saul. Imagine Moses when he spent 40 years in, the, in exile from Egypt. And Ruth, who spent years in poverty. All of those things are pits that we sometimes fall into. Sometimes we have troubles in this life and God helps us. And we can see that all these heroes of faith uh, were told by God how to get out of those situations or God delivered them out of those situations. And He reached down into those holes or those pits that those people were in and He lifted them up out of those situations and we see them in a better position after in most cases than they were before. And David says that God will do that for you and me. He'll do that for us. He answers prayers. If we didn't believe that God prays or answers prayers, then why do we pray? We talk about conviction. That's one of our what our lesson was about this morning in our class out here in the auditorium. About if you're not convicted uh, when you pray, if you don't believe that God's going to answer that prayer, then why pray it? There was a survey done a number of years ago where people who prayed were asked, uh, did they think that God answered their prayer? And 95% of them said that they believed that God had reached down and answered their prayer. David knew that God loved him. And he knew that God loved him very much. And so we see that, that David had that confidence. And we see that confidence not only here, but we see it also in other psalms that David wrote. In Psalms chapter 23, we see there that psalm that is quoted so often, that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for Thou art with me. Thy rod and Thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Those are the words that David wrote because he realized the shepherd. You see, too many of us know the psalm, but we don't know the shepherd. We don't trust the shepherd. Oh, it's beautiful to read, but do we believe it? Do we trust it? Do we believe that God is our provider and that He is doing those things for us and has done those things for us that David is talking about here in this passage of Psalm chapter 103? We know like David did that God loves us and cares for us. And we know that as we walk with God that He will, re re he will lead us and restore us and protect us. That's what the Psalm 23 is about. And we know that God meets our physical needs here on this earth. But just like David, we know that that's not enough. It's not enough just to have food and, and clothing and shelter. We need something to know that we're safe. Because we know that there's a judgment day coming. 
And God provides that security if we will trust Him and obey His will. Jesus said, What shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Years ago, I believe it was the History Channel tried to figure out how much the world was worth. And they came up with this number. It was almost seven quadrillion dollars. That's seven with 15 zeros after it. That's what they said the world was worth. And I would suspect that they undervalued the world by quite a bit. And Jesus is telling us, if you gained all of that and you lose your own soul, what have you prospered? What have you gained? You see, you can be wealthy beyond your wildest dreams. You could own the whole world. You could be healthy as a horse and wise as Solomon, but still be lost in a devil's hell. Unless your sins are washed away by the blood of Christ, you're going to be cut off from God. And unless your sins are forgiven, you'll never know the blessings of living eternally in heaven. And so David tells us, yes, God is willing to take care of you too. He'll take care of your sin. He'll heal you. He'll crown you. He'll give you what you need. He forgives us our sins. What a blessing that is to know that all of my sins can be washed away by the precious blood of Christ. He goes on and tells us in Psalms 103, verses 10 and 12, He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath He removed our transgressions from us. When you look at that passage, you see three words there. You see sin, you see transgression, and you see iniquities. Sin is kind of a general term when we disobey God. When we look at transgression, that is a presumptuous sin. That I just, I'm going to do what I want to do. And then there's the iniquity, which is more wicked because I am planning it. I lay in bed maybe at night and think about what I'm going to do to so-and-so the next day. And I think that you see in David's life that express. And an example of that was with Bathsheba. Where he knew what he was doing was sinful, he committed sin with Bathsheba. And he went ahead and he did it anyways. And then when she became pregnant, what did he do? He tried to connive away so that he could kill Uriah the Hittite. So he was planning a murder. Now all of those are included in those words. But the point is this, that God can forgive all of those things. That if we will comply to His will, He can forgive all of our sins. That doesn't mean that He says, oh, well, now that you're a Christian, you can go out and you can start planning evil. No. He doesn't say you can go out and start sinning. He doesn't say you can go out and transgress my law. No, you can't do those things. You have to live a faithful life. But as a Christian, we're going to sin. We do sin. 
And that blood continually cleanses us. But David paints a beautiful picture here of how God removes that sin. He says that He removes it as far as the east is from the west. Now when you think about that, when you go around this world, if I said go west, you can go west forever. Or if I said go east, you can go east forever. Now you're going to come to an ocean on either direction, but you're going to, you can still keep going east or you can keep going west. And you can go west forever all the way around this earth. And you can go east all the way around forever around this earth. And I believe that that's impressive because he, said, he doesn't say he removes it from as far as the north is from the south. Because when you start to go the other way, eventually you're going to come back and you're going to start to go south. When you go north, you're going to end up going south. And when you go south, you're going to end up going north. And I believe that God says the east from the west so that we can see that there is no limitation to His forgiveness. That He's willing to remove it and remember it no more. What a blessing that is to know that He will forget our sins. And it's a choice that He makes. And so, that's the God we serve. The God who loves us so much that He's willing to meet our physical needs, but a God who loved us so much that He gave His only begotten Son so that you and I can have eternal life. John 3 and verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, you can believe in Jesus and not do His will, so you could still be lost. But if you believe in Jesus and you truly believe Him, you're going to do what He says you must do in order to be saved. And what a blessing it is to know that He makes that available to you and me. You see, there are people in this world that their goal in life is to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. They have no room for God. And so I would question that wise part because if God's not in it, then you're foolish. But there are many people in this world that think that, you know, they can be wise without God. And they want to live to be a ripe old age, but God and Jesus just doesn't fit into their equation. And the, those kind of people sometimes look at others who trust God, who believe God, who have their faith in God as a weak and underprivileged people. And so I ask you again this morning, have you counted your blessings lately? Because God loves you and He'll do those things that are on that screen as David points out. And as I pointed out earlier in the lesson, those things can't be taken away. God doesn't raise the price on them. He doesn't have a shortage of it. It's all available. Because the price has already been paid when Jesus died on the cross so that you could have the forgiveness of sin. And the question is, do you want to have that same blessing that David had? Are you rich by the standards of this world? 
Or are you rich by the standards that Jesus Christ has given us in this life? We can know God's forgiveness and love today if we'll follow His plan that He's given us to have our sins washed away. He tells us that we have to believe in John chapter 3 and verse 16. He tells us that we must repent of our sins to turn away from those things. As Acts chapter 3 and verse 19 tells us, Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins be blotted out or may be blotted out when the time of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. So we want to have our sins forgiven. We need to repent. We believe that message. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We turn and we make an about face and now we're going to live a life to please Him. And we make that great confession as we see in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 32 where Jesus says if we'll confess Him before men, He'll confess us before His Father which is in heaven. And then to seal the deal, you might say, in order to have our sins washed away and that forgiveness that's promised, then we need to be buried with our Lord in baptism to have our sins washed away by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Reenacting the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord as described in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 6. We go down into that water and we come up out of that water a new creature. If you've never done that, you can do that this morning. You need to do it for the right reason. Because you believe what Jesus has told you or told us in His Word and you want to be saved. That's why we do it. Maybe you are a Christian and maybe you've forgotten some of those benefits. Sit down sometime and count those wonderful things that God has blessed us with. Not just the material things, but the spiritual things that we have. Don't look at others and say, they've got it and I don't and I'm miserable. There's enough people like that. God's people should not be like that. This morning, if you need to respond to the invitation, you can come and have a seat up here on the front row. You have that opportunity as we stand and sing.